Judges 4, verse 1 in the NIV. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned, who reigned in Hazar. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harush Hagoim, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. I want to stop there and just in the, the 900 chariot thing, a chariot was like having a tank. A chariot was like the prime piece of military equipment, okay? It was the best thing you could have on a field. If you had a, if you had a chariot, you had a trained warrior, trained horseman, and, and those were the guys that could take on 30, 40, 50, 60 other people in their chariot in the way that they drove those into battle. So this is a fierce thing they were facing against with the best military equipment of the day. Verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She was a judge. She would sit there under this tree, literally, and people would come and she would make judgment upon things, okay? Um, we also know that she was a prophetess. Uh, she was probably a singing prophetess, so a lot of her uh, declarations that she gave, her prophetic words were probably most likely sang, uh, sung. She was a, a fiery, fierce woman. We know that by her name. Verse 6, she sent for Barak, son of uh, Abinom from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went back with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Now, Hebrew, now, now verse 11 ties into the very end, the story at the tent at the end, okay? So verse 11, I'm going to read it, but that, that, that's just showing you that somebody else is there. Imagine a, a big, big valley. Imagine mountains around the valley. Imagine there's a river coming down the valley, and that's where they're going to fight this. That's where they're going to fight this war, okay, this battle. And up on one hill is, is Deborah and Barak. And, and down on the battlefield are the people coming in, both sides coming in to fight. But verse 11 is there's a tent, not a tent, but there's a whole tribe of people, desert people, Bedouins that are here. This is who they're describing. Now, Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. All right, so, and that comes back to the tent where the military leader Sisera comes to, into. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abonom, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Harosh, Harosheth Hagiam to the Kishon River all of his men and his 900 chariots with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Now, I'm going to stop again at 15. Now, 15, they have this battle, but it doesn't appear like from the next, uh, the next chapter that the battle was very fierce or anything like that. 
until the 900 chariots got stuck in mud in the valley. Okay? So there's 900 chariots. There's this fierce army coming in. And, and it's, and, because Deborah writes a song that she's, that somebody writes a song that's sung about her. And in that song, we, we recognize that they basically get all bogged down. And at that time, the Israelite army comes and kills every one of them. Okay? So that's, that's, the, that's the part of the battle. When you imagine that, uh, that mountain range, a valley, a river coming through, little tributary rivers coming into that, all swelling up into a marshland type thing in that area. <clears throat> Verse 16. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth, Hegoim. And all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber. This is the, <clears throat> this is the tent of the Bedouins. <clears throat> the wife of, <clears throat> excuse me, the wife of Heber, the Canaanite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber, the Canaanite. <clears throat> so imagine this. Everybody's being slaughtered. Sisera, he leaves, runs up a little bit out of the valley, there's a tent up there. There's multiple tents up there. Jael went out to meet Sisera in verse 18 and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Better translation than blanket is probably the rug. It's prob- prob- probably the rug there. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened his skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Happy Mother's Day! Happy Mother's Day! I'm telling you, you know, I, I'm always shocked when I read through Kings. It's, it's amazing. In, verse, in chapter 3... They have a, a man comes in and gives tributary to a king that's suppressing Israel. It's always about Israel being suppressed all the way through judges because they don't obey the Lord, because they compromise. All right. And then it's somebody coming in with a strong belief, anointed of God that comes in. But this guy comes in and prays tributary to the king. He leaves and he comes back. He says, hey, guys, I forgot to give a word in private to the king. Can I go in and see him? So he goes in. They close the chambers. He, he kills the guy. He, pull, he pulls a, a small sword from his thigh and he stabs it in. And it's really graphic. It says he was so fat that it goes all the way up to the hilt. The fat goes all the way up to the hilt of, a, of the sword. And then he, le- he leaves. He goes out the back door. And it's the servants of the king are afraid he's going to the bathroom. They don't want to disturb him and get in trouble. So they wait till the point of embarrassment passes. They come in and they realize he's dead. So the Bible's got a lot of, lot of stuff in it. Okay? So... It's got, it's got a lot of difficult things things in there. And what I want to talk about, just a couple points out of here, is about being a powerful woman. And a powerful woman activates, initiates direction. A powerful woman initiates direction. It doesn't matter your place in life, you can initiate direction. You can initiate God's plan for this church, for your home, for this region, if you step out. So powerful women and men, but I want to talk about women specifically, they initiate. So Deborah initiates. She calls 
the warrior in. She initiates that call and calls him in. And then she initiates also what's going to be done in the battle. Jael initiates, she's standing outside her tent. And it might have just been that it was she's an opportunist and she's there. But she initiates and says, come and hide in my tent. Okay, knowing that in her tent, no man would be allowed. Her and her husband would have separate tents and she would have some tent probably with some servant women and no man would be allowed in there. In fact, she wouldn't be allowed in her husband's tent without permission, without some sort of uh, coming in uh, back then. So powerful women initiate. They initiate in order to fulfill God's purpose in the community. They, they, they initiate. And I know, it's, um, I know it's hard sometimes to initiate, to start, to put yourself out there. But powerful women do that. And I want you to initiate the battle for your own design. You initiate. Don't wait on a prophetic word. Don't wait on permission to preach or teach or start a business. I want you to initiate on your own, your own design. Initiate the battle for your own self, for your own design. Initiate the battle for the future of your family, for the future of your kids. doesn't matter how old you are, how old they are. You can initiate something new in this season, the direction that will change how your kids perceive God in the, in, the, in the decades, in the years, in the generations to come. So be willing to initiate battle in your, own, in your own life. In your own home, be willing to initiate direction in your own home, godly direction. Be willing to initiate in this church things that you think that you want to see done. All right? Begin to initiate in your community, wherever you work, in your region, things that need to get done. And you might, you might need to call somebody... To partner, which if it's in your home, it's your spouse, by the way. If it's in this church, it's me and some of us. If it's in the community, but, but, but Deborah initiated and she called someone that could help her complete the Lord's design. And she never, by the way, comes off the mountain. She never goes into the valley to fight. But she somehow draws Sisera into, into the valley. So she knows her part. So be willing to initiate. Be willing so th- this is what you might have want to ask yourself. What mountain do I need to travel to in order to lead the battle in my life? What battle are you in or what battle? Where are you being held captive? And you've been unwilling to climb a mountain to hear the voice of God, to get a good view of the battleground and then declare victory over that battleground, declare victory over your land. See, the valley is where all the fruit is produced. You go into the mountains... Less and less food, less and less food. Less trees are smaller. Then there's no trees. Then there's nothing except for snow and rock. So in the valley, but sometimes we have to climb up, get a view, and then we have to pick a fight. And I want to challenge you to initiate some fights in your life. Initiate your fights not against anybody, by the way. I've made that mistake for a long time. So initiate battles against things, against something that's keeping you from going where you believe God has for you to go. Initiate those battles. Declare, I'm in, ba- I'm in battle against this thing. And it might be against your own laziness. It might be against your own, your, your own um, wire, your own chaos. I'm going you know, to initiate some battle against chaos in my life. And I'm going to take control over some things in some right ways based on what God is telling me. You know, it might not be a, uh, a mountain... 
you might need to find what tent door do you stand in front of in order to take advantage of a quickly moving situation. We often miss out on blessings because we're inside watching TV. We're not outside standing around our property. Jail had tiny bit of property. She had a tent. And yet she fulfills the word that says a woman's going to get taken credit for killing for, for bringing down Cicera. She's standing at her tent. She's standing at the border of her promised life. Is just This is the only place she has control. It was a giant tent, most likely, by the way. But it's, it, that's the only place. But she initiated to stand out there, to be ready, to be patient, to be, to be waiting appropriately. Now, powerful women grow and mature and live to the fullest extent of their practical and spiritual gifting. We're called to grow out, to grow. I mean, naturally, we grow heavier, right? I mean, it's just, it's just part of life. It's just part of life sometimes. We, and we, and we, want it, we fight that battle often. But there's a battle that if I have this design, if, I have this, if, I, if I'm this way, then I want to live all the way out to my parenting. I'm going to live all the way out so I'm parenting my 12-year-old. But I'm also, as I can, parent my 29-year-old and my daughter-in-law. I parent that in a different way, but I want to go all the way out there. And then anybody that wants to come in and around and be parented by me, I'm willing to do that also. So I'm going to live all all the way out of my design. And a powerful woman says, I'm designed, I have a purpose, I have a tent, or I have a region, or I have a people, or I have one person, and I'm going to live out all the way to the fullest of that design because that is the true thing that will bring me great happiness. No fun to live in a tent. I'm watching Netflix all day. I don't think they got cable out there, but they might have had satellite. I don't know. So the thing is, is that we have, we have this, this living out. So, so a powerful woman grows and matures and lives to the fullest extent of their practical and spiritual gifting. And at that point, the Lord then says, now I will give you more. What we do often, we stay in this small place and we say, oh, I wish God would give me more. But we leave all of this untended around here. It's like, I wish God would give me a better house, but we haven't vacuumed in months and the yard's not taken care of and there's dust cobwebs everywhere. And we're like, I wish God would give me a better house. And it's like, I, I think God's saying, I did give you a better house and you're not taking care of it. And so, so a powerful woman will, will look at things and she'll stewardship all the way out as far as she can. If it's a small paycheck, if it's a medium paycheck, if it's a large paycheck, a powerful woman will, will, will steward that all the way out. And she'll learn how to use her money. She'll learn how to grow her money. Now think about that. Deborah grew and led the region. She dominated that. But she gets no less credit. I know that's exciting. There's dogs outside and stuff like that. It's wave at them. <laughs> there's uh there's all that excitement so we, we can look at deborah most of us are in a tent and we're like i wish i had what deborah had if i had the gift that deborah had i would be i would be a bigger i'd be a prophetess i would do something but since i'm only jl and only have this tent and i'm actually just traveling by i'm just sitting here i actually have allegiance with this other with cesara and not with deborah well i can't do anything i just wish i had more i wish i had more power i wish i had more men i wish i had more chariots and we sit there and we say i wish I hope and I want God to do something. And God's like, I already gave you a tent. Stand outside your tent. If your tent's all fold up, stand outside of your tent and I'll give you more. And I'm going to say without you and power, without women and power, there's always a power vacuum. It's never, 
ever, ever been meant for men to be in power and be powerful and not have men, I mean, not have women be in power and be powerful. We have a lot of that language now. And it's a really divisive language. It's really like, well, men have dominated and pushed women down. So now women need to come along and push men down. And, and it, nothing will be right and balanced until there's these women here. But that's all the wrong conversation. It's all the wrong conversation in our heart. It's really about what am I called to do? Let me go do that if I'm male or female. Okay? So powerful women grow and mature and live to the fullest extent. When you shrink back, ladies, the sisters, when you shrink back, And you hide, and you stay in your memory, and you stay in your past, and you stay in judgment. You're not doing anybody any service. It's it's not it's not loving to your family. It's not loving to us. It's not loving to your community. It's not loving to the people around you that that um, they're looking towards you. And I tell you what, it is not easy stepping out and being a different type of person. It's not easy changing. But transformation is part of the Christian life. That's our promise, that I'll be transformed by the renewing of my mind. That's a promise. I'm constantly being transformed. I'm constantly picking or initiating a fight. I'm constantly looking for stewardship opportunities for more of what God has for me. I don't have to go out and look for a bunch of stuff. The Lord is offering me a bunch of stuff. I'm not fighting for things that aren't rightfully mine. I'm just fighting for what the promises and the things that he's given me. And then this last one. I don't know if I'm going to say this right. In fact, I'm reading it now. I think I'm going to say it wrong, but you're going to get it. It kind of goes along with everything else. Powerful women know how to stay in their design. They're not wishing they were designed a different way so they could be powerful in this way or in that way. And that's comparison. We have a lot of that. But man, I I, I do lead this way, but I wish I was this way. And, and men do it all the time, but, but I don't think it holds us back as much as, as women. It's like being a mom. Well, I should, be par- I should be parenting like they parented, but you have a different child than they have. And if you're listening to him and you're walking in the spirit of wisdom, which you can, you have every right, it's your inheritance, then you're giving your child exactly what they need that no other parent can give them. And man, that's powerful when you think, when you, you know, that's what I think about Zeke and Victoria all the time. There's no other, there's no better dad than me for Zeke and Victoria. They would both disagree at certain times. <laughs> One day we had this conversation, Victoria was like, uh, about choosing dads. She's like, well, I'd want Sam, Simon Cowell to be my dad because then I could be on America's Greatest Eye. I'm like, that would be awesome if you want to be a star to have Simon, Simon Cowell as your dad. That's a good choice. So. But you know what? We get a father and a parent and a mother that encompasses everything that we would ever need in our future, in our design. So a woman of power knows their roles and knows their roles. And I don't mean sexual identity roles or knows, but they know their design. They know this is my identity. This is how I show up. This is what I give. And I'm going to show up and I'm going to give my peace. And I'm not going to go, gosh. I wish I could be louder like them, or I wish I could be quieter like them. We're not going to say, gosh, I wish I could sing like them, or I wish I could knew the Bible like them. We're going to say, this is me, and I'm going to get really, really, really good at being me. And I must be okay in staying and growing and maturing in that way. Uh, And this is one thing I've learned over the years. You do not have to be very smart to be successful. 
You do not have to know very much to be successful. You do not have to do magical things to be successful. You need to keep learning and growing in your God-given design and be smart or wise or, or, or do some right things in very few areas, okay? And so we can do that, and powerful women do that. Now, I love this whole look at the story that women, that powerful women bring peace through war. Women want peace more than men want peace. I was reading a, a, um, a Scott Harrison, the guy that does Charity Water, has a, just a great book on thirst. And I, I heard him on a business podcast and I read it. And they found out that if they try to take water systems and wells to villages, and they did it for like a decade or two, they took them and they got men, elders in the tribe. They got them involved. The wells almost, if they got built, they would fall, quickly fall into disrepair. But when they got the mama of the, of the tribe, they got, they got the, the women of the tribe involved, they rocked it. Everything began to change when they got the powerful women, powerful women involved. And, and uh, this, this idea that they, that they had a skill set of community development... They had a skill set of already knowing about all the problems with the water, the dirty water, and how someone had to go two hours one way to get a 40-gallon jerry. It's a, it's a yellow gas container and carry it back. They knew all the issues, so they, they found the right leadership. If those women hadn't stepped up, and then they began to train women mechanics to drive motorcycles, to go to these wells and to, to fix these wells, and they got so much disrespect for a season. And then they just decided, oh, you guys can fix these wells. And so we have all these things that we're breaking through in our society so much. We, I don't think we have it yet. Not in the church structure, but in the spiritual structure that women can move and do these things. And if women aren't being powerful, then men will always walk in lack. It's true of men. If men aren't being powerful, women will walk in lack. So women often like peace. This is what I was going. Women often like peace more than men like peace. There's an engagement in war that men have that women don't have. But I'm telling you, what we see in this story is one of the things is, is that we don't get peace without war often. There is no peace without war. Be willing to initiate war. Be willing to go up into the mountain. Be willing to call the, call the leader of war together. Be willing to do something. You know? And, there, and, and I, I love this, uh, this view that's so gross with her driving a, a stake. The stakes were probably really long. It was probably a heavy wood mall. I mean, it's a big deal. It wasn't like a little, she drove it. It says, when you look at the commentary, you look at the original language, it's like she drove it through his head into the dirt. It was a big nail. But there's things we have to do that we're like, oh, well, I just want peace. And then what we do when we say, oh, I just want peace, we actually elongate poverty and we elongate oppression and we make longer uh, the, the turmoil and the slavery in our own lives and the lives of our family members. So be willing to go to war. So, and, and maybe one of the ways that war starts first is in your own mind about your own self as we start about with prayer. Maybe that's the first place you need to, be to declare war on your own thoughts that are opposing God's thoughts about you. Maybe you need to declare war on your own judgment of yourself and say, I will no longer judge myself. Maybe you need to declare war on, I will no longer embrace shame as if I deserve it. All right? And, and 
in that area, I wrote down a couple questions here. Are you bringing victory to your family through your leadership by living in courage and power? Power. It's not, it's not just a yes or no question because there's probably yes, I am in these areas. But there's probably, if there's, no, if there's a no, I'm not, there's no condemnation. It's just like, no, I'm not. I just realized it. I could be way more powerful where I live. I could really lead in this area. Just begin to ask the Lord. Don't take it upon yourself to lead. Begin to ask the Lord, what, is, what does my power look like manifested in this situation where I've been holding myself back? And then the second question is, are you leading from the position you're in right now? That's the story we have. We usually just ignore JL. When you go back and read commentaries about JL, they're horrible. They're super vindictive that a woman would kill a man and she was evil. She, she didn't do the Lord's work. And, but you go, you go back and hear, you know, you know, David kills Goliath or, or, or that one servant kills the king with the sword and that comes out of his slide. And there's, the commentaries are silent on those men. But they're often harder on women. But you can serve from the position you're in right now. You can lead from the position you're in right now. You can be powerful from the position you're in right now. And if one thing slavery teaches us, I mean slavery. If there's one thing scripture teaches us, you can be powerful while you're in slavery. You're not waiting until you're set free from your addiction or your problems or whatever. You start leading right now. You start being powerful right now. God's talking to you. God's anointed you. God's doing these things for you. This last question, which is a harder answer, is are you aligning yourself with God's plan for you first, then your family, then your church, and then your job? A lot of women, because they're peaceful, they're servant-hearted, they jump God's plan for their life, and they jump to serving their family. And then over time, they they come into lack. They come into turmoil. They get their wires, wires jumbled. It's not selfish to say, in inner healing, me first. In worship, me first. All right? Let's go ahead and stand up. I'm going to bless you guys as we as we go and... Hope you have a happy happy Mother's Day.